We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Sharp DFS Analysis here on Rotogrinders.com. My name is Chris Gimino. I'll be hosting the show, taking you through week number 10 action in the NFL from a Vegas and advanced analytics standpoint. And joining me to do that, we've got two guys who have been absolutely crushing it all year long, analyzing it from that perspective. Uh, first, we've got from Sharp Football Analysis and Sharp Football Stats, Warren Sharp. What's happening, man? Hey, I'm, I'm in a lot colder climate than Chris is right now, so... <laughs> is that, is that true? Where, where are you at right now? Me? I'm outside of D.C. Oh, okay. Yeah, definitely a lot colder than where Chris is at. And, of course, the aforementioned Chris Raybon chilling in Cancun, senior DFS editor at 444.com. Chris, what's happening? What's going on, man? You know, just chilling out here in Cancun. I'm going to talk some football with you guys, and then I'll probably jump in the water. Yeah, Chris played Jared Goff last week, as you heard on the show. So uh, he's celebrating with a trip to Cancun. You know, he <laughs> scooped absolutely all the money in DFS, and he's down there celebrating that victory. And, uh, you know, this week, Warren, we, we, we're going to do what we always do and take a look at our first segment here from a strategy perspective. And as I take a look at the totals here on sharpfootballanalysis.com, I'm noticing that there isn't a single total over 49, if I'm not mistaken. And the hell's going on out there, Warren? What's going on? All year long, we're seeing these low totals, and this has to mean something for DFS, right? I mean, like, why are these totals so low, and what is the strategy that we need to be considering because of it? Yeah, to put things into perspective, so um, last season, 2016, through, you know, weeks 1 to 17, there was just one week where the average total on Sunday, if you average out all the games that are being played, where the average totals was 45 or below just one week out of the entire season. This year, we've had only two weeks where the average totals have been above 45. So it's a complete reversal what we've been dealing with this year as opposed to last year. Um, and there's a lot of different factors that are playing into it. I mean, one of the key things obviously has to do with injuries and where those two, to which players those injuries are occurring. And unfortunately, we've seen a large number of them occur offensively to quarterbacks as well as cluster injuries to offensive lines. And we know passing is four times more correlated to success in the NFL than is rushing. So when your quarterback or your offensive line is having problems, your overall offense is going to struggle as well. Uh, so that's the first and foremost. Secondly, we have just the advent of uh, just mediocre performance across the board. Uh, we've got some guys that are playing through injuries. We've got some guys that are uh, – just in less advantageous situations. Um, we've got some teams that are trying to do rebuilds. You know, this, this um, over the last few years, like there's been more of a desire to just do a flat out overhaul rebuild. You don't care if you don't win that many games, get some decent picks. And that, that basically means you're starting a lot of young guys. And we're seeing that now with, uh, you know, multiple teams now uh, with, one to zero wins. I mean, we've got two teams that have zero wins. We've got the Giants that only have one win. They're not 
they weren't weren't trying to be rebuilt this year, but they had those cluster injuries, especially to the wide receiver position. Um, so there's just a lot of different factors that are playing a role here um, that are that are creating this. But it is measurable, it is definable, and from a DFS perspective, I mean the actionable takeaways of, in terms of what the users should do, the guys who are playing the tournaments and and the you know the, the those different competitions is once again just the same thing we said from the beginning week one target those games where you think are going to go over the total and don't worry about what the exact total is try to focus your lineups on heavy construction towards those games which you think could be shootouts now one of the things that you aren't going to see is you're not going to see with these totals the way that they are as much competition for those higher total games because just because there aren't any but the few games that are higher totaled if you aren't really confident that you think this game is going to go over, then you may want to look towards another direction because there's just been this thing over the last couple of years, I think, in the, in the DFS industry where, where people are channeling their lineups towards these high totaled games. Forget what they think about what's going to happen. It's got a high total. Vegas thinks it's a high total. It must be a high game, lots of point production here. And so you're going to have a lot of different rosters that have a lot of those players on them. So you can take advantage of that if you think that that game, eh, the total is set about right. I don't see a ton of value there, um, you know, in terms of going over. But look at these other totals that are in the mid-40s. I see a couple games here that I think could go over. Then you then you want to focus and channel your lineups uh, based on those players. Chris, where are you at with this? I, you know, I'm, I'm looking at projecting ownership these days. And one of the metrics I do tend to look at first is, you know, where are the high total games? And when I don't have you know, a set of high total games to rely on. I th I'm moving down to other metrics and other factors to consider when trying to weigh what the public will do. How is this kind of affecting your work on a day-to-day -day basis, trying to figure out the best plays both from a DFS perspective and also from a real-life football perspective? Well, I think from a DFS perspective to start, and especially with ownership, I do think that, you know, as Warren alluded to, there's going to be a couple of – there's still a couple – like the highest total games, there is going to be a lot of ownership on those games. And sometimes – I think uh, people kind of confuse a high over under to mean something that it really doesn't like a high over under doesn't necessarily mean more fantasy production for the players in that game. It could just mean that there is more fantasy relevant players on the teams involved in the game with a high total. So, you know, it's just because for example, Ezekiel Elliott or somebody like that is in a game with a high total doesn't mean that all of a sudden Ezekiel Elliott's going to score like a ton of more fantasy points than he would have in another game. It just means that in addition to Ezekiel Elliott, you're also going to have, you know, other players in this, a lot of other players on, on both sides of this, you know, for the Falcons, you have Julio Jones, you have Sanu, you have Matt Ryan, you know, there's just more players that are going to be relevant in a given week. But um, I think when, when there's not as many high total games, I think people are going to look to the, the games with the maybe first or second highest totals. And then people are going to look a lot at just straight up value. So I think you're going to kind of see those value plays, those plays that come out well in people's projection models in terms of something like points per dollar. Those plays might be a little more highly owned than they would otherwise. I mean, I think you see it. You've seen it a couple of times this year with T.Y. Hilton where T.Y. Hilton, you know, he hasn't been very consistent, but he's, he's a lot of times he's in spots where he's just super cheap and um, he just kind of fits in a lineup and he, and he comes out well in a, in a projection model. And you, you see like, you know, 35, 40% T.Y. Hilton ownership in some of these large tournaments, which is very unusual for a, a player on a bad team that hasn't been all that consistent um, in a given season. So I think, you know, as Warren alluded to, you know, instead of kind of looking straight up at, you know, uh, the high total games or, 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 or just defaulting to value plays, you know, just target games that you are confident in and, you know, that, that, that you can kind of get behind as a game that's going to maybe go over the total a little bit because, remember, we've been talking about this since the first or second show. The average game, when it goes over the total, it's going over the total by 10 points combined. The average team – goes over their implied total by seven. Uh, so, you know, the same thing is true on the other side. You know, if a game goes under its total, it's going under by about 10 points. And if a team goes under, that team is going under by about 10. So, I mean, about seven, excuse me. So you really have to kind of look at situations. Um, and maybe, you know, it, it's actually advantageous for people that 
you know, want to put the time in, you know, people, probably the type of people that are watching the show that want to put in a little extra effort into their, their, their DFS uh, process, because what's going to happen is if you, you can identify some of these games that, you know, don't really stand out in any measurable way. I mean, kind of like, like maybe Rams last week, or I don't think the Rams really stood out to many people. But if you can kind of identify those situations, you're going to have a big leg up because uh, even with not, not being many high total games, there's still going to be a lot of concentrated ownership around the, the few games with the higher totals and the value plays. So um, really just kind of focus on spots, look a little harder at players you might not otherwise want to look at. And also something I've talked about um, in my Raybonds review column over at 4 for 4, especially on DraftKings, you're seeing them raise the pricing floor. And what that's done is that's made it um, more necessary to – use a more balanced roster construction. And if you're, if you're using a more balanced roster construction, that again kind of brings you back to up players you wouldn't normally look at and looking at situations and teams and spots that you might not normally look at. But if you look at the winning millionaire maker lineups this year, the average points per game, the average points per lineup in the winning lineup is down about 20 points uh, from last year. The, uh, the average ownership is down cumulatively. So what that means is that it, it's harder to, to find value and put up a big number in, in your lineup. And it's also um, it, people are, it, you're, you're needing to be a tiny bit more contrarian um, to find that value. It's not as obvious as it, as it usually is. People aren't on the top plays as much as they have been in the past. So from, from, from our perspective, this is actually great. This, is, this provides a lot of opportunity for us to use our kind of uh, uh, advanced knowledge and our expertise um, to really kind of dig a little deeper and, and find those plays that are going to put you ahead of the field. Excellent. So this is going to be a good segue when we talk about not having a lot of high totals on the year go forward and trying to just do what we've been preaching all year and try to find games we think Vegas are off on. Now, both of you guys have mentioned that you think the Jets-Tampa Bay game is a game that Vegas could be off on. So I'll throw it to Warren first to talk about this game, Warren. What's going on here with this Jets-Tampa Bay situation? We don't have any high totals on the week. You know, This game isn't particularly high total, but – uh, with a 43 right now, you think this could be off? I, I do. Um, look, you know, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, they look terrible the last couple of weeks, put up three and 10 points the last two weeks against the Carolina Panthers and the New Orleans Saints defenses. But people don't realize, I mean, this is a big change, you know, from what those two teams were last year. Both those teams have very good pass defenses, both ranked top 10. You know, Carolina's seventh best and the Saints are fourth best. And in those two games, you had Jameis Winston, starting both of them, dealing with the shoulder injury. Um, so his, his shoulder was messed up to begin with. Um, he's giving the team pregame speeches about eating his fingers. And, and so a lot of things were going on there to, to cause, you know, this, these teams to be a little bit off kilter, not perform the way that you normally would expect. Um, even a couple weeks before that, you know, this team played a couple of average pass defenses in the Buffalo Bills and the Arizona Cardinals. They put up 27 and 33 points offensively in those games. So I don't think there's a, a major issue with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense. Um, I think the issue was that they're playing really good pass defenses and Jameis Winston's got an injured shoulder and a messed up mentality and is screwing around with the team's chemistry. Um, he's, he's not playing this game, though. And in his stead is a Harvard graduate who would never advocate eating someone's own fingers. Uh, and they're going up against the New York Jets 21st rated pass defense. And the Jets pass defense um, is certainly exploitable. Um, you're going to be able to throw the football against these guys. And I think a lot of people are off of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers simply because there's no Jameis and there's no Mike Evans. Of course, you're going to need other players to step up. Uh, but there's different targets that they're going to be able to get in this game. And one of the things about the Bucs that we know this year, uh, they are the fastest team in the NFL in terms of pace, tempo, especially in the first half. And they're the most pass-heavy team. And that's going to be an important factor here because I don't think they're going to have a lot of success running the football. Uh, we'll hear what Chris has to say. But my opinion is they're not going to have very much success running the football. So this is going to be a little bit more of a one-dimensional passing offense. And that's going to be attacking one of the weaknesses of this Jets defense. And they still have Deshaun Jackson to open up the, the top. And we saw that Jameis didn't have a ton of chemistry with him to begin with so far this season. Um, so I'm interested to see what Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to be able to do. Add to the fact that Ryan Fitzpatrick is a mobile quarterback. A lot of people think that Jameis maybe is, but Jameis really doesn't run the ball. Ryan Fitzpatrick will run the ball more in this game against the Jets than Jameis would have. 
So you have that element of being able to gain yards on the ground, um, especially those are, that's vital in like third down situations or even, you know, second and long, just making plays to get the down and distance more manageable that you could make by running the ball that you maybe would have thrown an incomplete pass if you weren't able to really run the ball. So uh, being able to run when the coverage is great in the secondary is, is a big selling point for this matchup, in my opinion. Um, we obviously haven't started talking about the, the Jets, but they've got Austin Safarian Jenkins going back down to Tampa Bay. Uh, they got McCown going back down to Tampa Bay. This is an offense that has exceeded most people's expectations so far this year. And they're playing a really, really bad Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense that is, you know, giving up points by and large every single week. The only time that they didn't the last month is against the Carolina Panthers, but Carolina, um, their offense, not particularly explosive. Uh, that was a game where the Carolina won 17 to three and didn't really have to do a whole lot in that one. So um, I just think that there's edges for both offenses. I think both defenses are mediocre. Um, the pace of play for the Jets is, is not as making me as enthusiastic about it. They're one of the slower paced teams in the league, uh, but I think they're going to be productive with their plays. And I think that this game definitely has a chance to exceed that total. And therefore I think that there's a number of, you know, players from this game that, that should be on your rosters. The other thing uh, I want to say is about the Jets, the running back. I mean, Matt Forte not being there, I think that really opens the door for a ton of value uh, for Powell. So uh, I think that there's some, some interesting factors there. I like to look at situation agnostic uh, production efficiency and playerprofiler.com has a metric called production premium. Josh McCown ranked number five among quarterbacks in that metric thus far. Chris, you got anything else on this game from the Jets perspective? Yeah, and this actually, because one thing, you know, at least I try to do, um, you know, when, I, when I'm talking to you guys or writing um, is, you know, even it's not just about, you know, touting these plays. It's also about kind of teaching you guys how to just the thought process. So, you know, maybe if you don't even agree with uh, the plays that, that I'm on or that, that Warren is on, you can still take away um, how to kind of approach these situations each, each week. And one of the things that I think really stands out about this game on both sides, really, is that you have um, two teams where all of their players, for the most part, especially now because you have Mike Evans um, and Jameis Winston out, all of their players on both sides are pretty cheap. And that's something that I think as a DFS player, you always have to take note of just from the fact that you can essentially invest in a large portion of a team's offense for a, a, a rather low amount of salary. And that is especially important in a situation like Jets Tampa Bay, where you have two below average defenses. And, and on the other side, you have, you know, a bunch of cheap players on offense. So you can kind of stack this game. You don't even have to stack the quarterbacks necessarily. You can kind of stack like a Bilal Powell and a Robbie Anderson, you know, get the top two, you know, the top Jets pass catcher and the top Jets running back. And you can, you can do things like that on Tampa Bay side with Cameron Brait or, and, um, and Deshaun Jackson, Adam Humphreys probably will catch five balls this game, five, six balls. Um, you know, not a ton of upside, but he's there on, especially on DraftKings if you need him for some PPR value. But um, really kind of notice these situations where you can invest in these uh, offenses on the cheap. And at, over at 4 for 4, we, we do something called schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed. And we also do it for not just the positions, but for entire offenses. So how much is a, is a defense giving up cumulatively to all the offensive skill positions? And, and then we adjust that for strength of schedule. And Tampa Bay, what a surprise. They are dead last in, in the league. And the Jets are uh, 28th. So you have two, you have situation, two teams um, that are giving up a lot of fantasy production and all of their players are cheap. And, and I think that's something, you know, not just with these two teams, but as you go forward, um, playing DFS in, in any sport, really, not even just uh, NFL. But anytime you notice that you can really invest in, in, in a situation um, for, for a low cost, you have to kind of take advantage of that um, for, for the Jets. Uh, you know, Tampa Bay, in addition to struggling um, on early downs, which I know is something Warren talks about a lot, you know, Tampa Bay, 31st in, in early down uh, pass defense success rate, 19th versus the run. Um, and not only that, they're not only struggling on early downs, 
they can't get off the field. Uh, they are dead last in third down conversion rate allowed. Uh, 49.6% on the season is Tampa Bay. Over their last three games, it's been even worse. It's been 54.4% third down conversions allowed. That is also worst in the NFL. So uh, for the Jets, I think you really just kind of want to invest in, in all of the pieces. I you think you want to invest in McCown. I think you want to invest in Bilal Powell, assuming Matt Forte is out. Robbie Anderson, always a threat for, for a deep ball. This could be a game where we see Jermaine Curse have some success. Tampa Bay is rated uh, 32nd dead last in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to uh, wide receivers. Um, they're actually be the best versus tight ends, but, I mean, Austin Safarian Jenkins is getting so much red zone work and goal line work that even if he doesn't have a big game yardage-wise, which he's never really had, I mean, this year his, his, his yards per catch and yards per target is pretty low, but um, just from the fact that he, he could score a touchdown or two, I think you have to look at him as well. Um, so a lot of options. Uh, for these New York Jets that I think you can that I think you can exploit and, and the same because you don't really have anyone expensive on their side of the ball either. Yeah, I want to point out from a wide receiver cornerback matchup standpoint, when you look at the guys that Tampa Bay is going to be running out, you know, Robert McLean uh, banged up Brent Grimes if he goes, you know, they kicked out Ver Vernon Hargraves from the starting line, put him in the slot. I mean, none of these guys, regardless of who's in there and which position they play are are all that efficient at covering their opponents. And when you look at the production from the Jets, like I said, they've been very efficient. Jermaine Curse has been very efficient this year. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets lined up with Robert McClain and beats him for a long one. Uh, so pretty much in agreement with everything you guys said here, like this game, think it's great to target for DFS purposes. Now we take a look at big favorites this week that, you know, we, we want to maybe capitalize on the situation, Warren. Where are you looking so far? What, what kind of a favorite situation, favorite dog situation has made the most sense as far as you attacking from Vegas's off standpoint, um, well, it's it's not a it's not a big favorite. It's um there are, although there are a number of big favorites on the card this week. I mean, we have a number of like eleven point eleven like nine to eleven point home favorites on the on the card this week. Uh, and then you got the Steelers on the road favored by that amount over the Colts. But uh, for me, I'm looking at a home underdog, and uh, and that's you know fading a team that has looked incredible so far this year, really exceeded everybody as everybody's expectations, and that's the New Orleans Saints. I mean, this is a team that has simply dominated uh, its competition. It's been winning by wide margins. Um, you know, the Bears got a nice little narrow cover over them back in Week Eight, uh, thanks to a couple of fumbles, um, but. For the most part, this is a team that's really been exceeding expectations. You go all the way from week three. Um, but – and the other thing is, too, like a lot of people have this impression, you know, historically like the Saints can't play well on the road, but they've got a totally different style of team right now. They've got a great run game uh, that they can lean on. That means True Breeze doesn't have to do as much. That also means that the defense isn't coming out on the field quite as often. So the defense is fresher, less is on Drew Brees' plate. Um, that makes it harder to game plan against and scheme against for the opposing home team. And this is a team that really now has a, a style of football that can travel. But I'm looking at the Buffalo Bills here. And the reason I'm looking at the Bills, there, there's a few reasons. First and foremost, um, their run game. And specifically, this interesting element where they're one of the few teams, if you look at the teams that the New Orleans Saints have faced, they have not faced a quarterback that's a capable running quarterback. I mean, back when they played Cam Newton in week three, Cam really wasn't running very much. We've seen him get healthier now over the course of the season, and he's running a lot more the last few weeks. But back in week three, he really wasn't. And other than that, they've played complete statues at quarterback for the most part. Um, if you look at, you know, Sam Bradford week one, Tom Brady week two, Jay Cutler week four. Then they played Matthew Stafford week six. And one of the reasons why I like the Saints in that game in week six, and I laid the points and they won obviously by a wide margin, is because Matthew Stafford was dealing with a lower leg injury during that time. And so he wasn't quite as mobile as he normally would be. Um, and then they've got week seven. They're playing Brett Hundley, a backup quarterback. Week eight, they're playing a rookie in Mitch Trubisky, who really they aren't asking to do very much as a quarterback and who really, you know, was just sort of getting the hang of that offense playing, I think it was his first road game down in New Orleans. And then last week, they played James Winston. We talked about Winston before. Not only is he injured, he's not a very mobile quarterback at all. You introduced the Buffalo Bills, who have a great run game, but also have a very mobile quarterback. And the Saints, that's their weak point. The Saints struggle against defending the run. They rank uh, 28th, which is fifth worst in the league, in rushing efficiency 
but they rank dead last in success rate on opposing rush, uh, running backs rushes. So I feel like we're going to get a decent game from LaShawn McCoy. They're going to be able to throw the ball out of the backfield. The Saints are one of the bottom 10 teams in defending passes to running backs as well. And then there's the Tyrod Taylor element, where I think Tyrod is going to be able to use his feet a lot in this game to gain some extra yards. You have the possibly the uh, incorporation of Calvin Benjamin. Maybe he's limited um, in terms of how much involvement he has in this game, but at least he's there. And you also take into consideration they should be getting Charles Clay back. Um, so there's a couple of pieces on offense in the passing game that they'll be able to incorporate here as well. Um, obviously, there's concerns defensively. You have to defend Drew Brees and the Saints. They've got a very balanced offense, and that's not going to be easy. That's going to be easier said than done, especially when you just gave up 34 points to the Jets. Um, but for the purposes of this show, I think the discussion point here more so is what can the offense of the Buffalo Bills do to allow you to select players from their roster to have a good uh, day playing DFS? And I think that there's a number of players that you're going to be able to find, um, ho hopefully a little bit lower owned, that because the total is not astronomical that you're going to be able to stack up against the Saints team. And let's say the Saints do have a good day offensively and they're scoring points, then obviously the Bills are going to need to chase. Um, if the Saints aren't, you're going to have still some elements where you've got LaShawn McCoy and possibly Tyrod Taylor who are going to be able to get the job done on the ground and in the air. And the other element I want to introduce lastly is the fact that when you look at the Saints and the strength of their pass defense, uh, I think they've had a lot of success against these typical pocket passing quarterbacks where there's a high pass to run ratio they're dropping back making you know reads and and predictable passing situations I, I think with the bills their key to this game is to keep things kind of unpredictable throw the ball when a team thinks you're going to run run the ball when they think that you're going to throw and you're going to be able to catch that secondary I think in a couple of situations where um, they might be not expecting a certain route or a certain um play call and so I think that there's some opportunities there for Buffalo to catch this defense a little bit like they haven't been caught uh especially in their last few weeks where they haven't allowed more than 17 points in any game so I like the Buffalo Bills offense this weekend that's excellent stuff I'm not projecting the Bills to be a highly owned offense this week Chris and uh, I don't know about you but I if, if Warren's correct here there's going to be some leverage in GPP tournaments if those guys go off in any substantial way now you have mentioned in the show notes that you're a fan of a game that I'm somewhat interested to hear about, and that's the Who Gives a Crap Bowl featuring the Giants and the 49ers. What, what do you got to say about that game? You know, how can we take advantage of the projected situation with the Giants? Yeah, well, you know, people that have been kind of following the show or following um, my content over at Roto-Grinders or 4 for 4 kind of know that I've been one of these guys. I've kind of been attacking the Giants defense all year and in a lot of spots where other people really haven't. I think the Giants defense probably has a, a good reputation, um, you know, and, and, and this week, though, I think it's kind of the flip side where I think you want to I think you want to kind of uh, use the Giants in DFS this week. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure how many people uh, really uh, are, are that confident in them, but I think this is a really good spot for them both, you know, for people betting on these games um, and, and for people playing DFS. I think that the Giants have a big advantage in this game. And that's the fact that, number one, they, you know, anytime you're looking at two bad teams, and I think the, when the spread first came out, I think San Francisco might have been favored by a point. Now it's kind of jumped to the Giants by a point or two, depending on where you, you look. But I think the Giants, you know, having the veterans that they do on both sides of the ball, um, I think this is a situation where they're going to be able to, you know, despite the fact that they're traveling across country and, you know, they, they, they're on the road and they only have one win. I think there's a situation where it could be a smash spot um, for them. And, and I think that the reason is, you know, not only is the 49ers defense bad, um, and we know it's pretty bad. Um, they're 24th in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to um, offenses overall. They, uh, you know, they, they've struggled, you know, in early downs. They, they're 27th in pass defense DVOA, 23rd against the run. But they lost a key player for the season last week in Jaqueski Tart. He is a safety, and, and I think we talked about him maybe once or twice before on the show, but he does a really good job on tight ends. And with that element of their defense missing, now you have a situation where Evan Ingram all of a sudden, his matchup is substantially upgraded 
Um, and if the Giants are able to, to get him involved, that's really the key to their offense. I know that, you know, a lot of people are kind of down on the Giants offense without Odell Beckham, but you know, Evan Ingram's a good player. Sterling Shepard's a pretty good player. Um, and I think they're going to be able to have some success with the pass, especially with now San Francisco having to, to worry a lot more about Ingram because they don't have Tart out there that they can kind of just put on him. And on top of that, you know, one of these things, you know, we always look at is, you know, early down, you know, success rate in San Francisco, you know, 20th against the pass. But even more worrisome than that is the fact that, you know, this team is not very good, you know, defending on early downs, but also they're not, they can't get off the field either. You know, this team, the Bucks are, are number 32 in terms of third down conversion rate, conversion rate allowed, conversion rate allowed, rate allowed, 46.6% on the season. But even more crazy is the fact that at home, San Francisco is allowing a 55.8% third down conversion rate. That is worst in the league for any team in home or on the road. So San Francisco just has not been able to get off the field. This is not a home field advantage for them. I know we've talked about that before too, you know, home field advantage, there has to actually be a home field advantage, you know, for, for, for it to, for it to work. And the 49ers, they can't get off the field on defense at home. They, their quarterback is CJ Bethard, who, you know, that's not really a home field advantage because what's going to happen if he goes three and out a bunch of times, they're just going to boo him. You know, that's not a home field advantage for them either. So I, you know, I think, I think, um, you know, Eli Manning, really good spot for him. I think, the fact that San Francisco is not able to get off the field means that um, uh, combined with the fact that the Giants defense this week, get, they should be getting Olivier Vernon back. They should be getting Jonathan Casillas back. And, um, you know, those, those are important players on their front seven. Um, Vernon is going to really help shore up what's been a, a, a leaky run defense. Uh, Kerry Wynn, another player probably back this week. He's also um, better at run defense than, than the players they have, they've been putting out there. So I think you're going to see an improved Giants defense this week compared to the last few weeks. Janoris Jenkins is back as well. San Francisco without Pierre Garcon, their top receiver, without George Kittle, um, pretty much their number, you know, their number one tight end and, you know, number one of their top options in the passing game. And, um, you know, now they're going to, they're going to be running out Marquise Goodwin and Algic Robinson at the receiver position. That's not a good um, matchup for, for them going against the Giants who have, you know, solid secondary. Um, and I think the Giants are going to be able to dominate time of possession because San Francisco can't get off the field. So I'm, I'm looking at Eli Manning with, with Ingram and Shepard. And I'm looking at Orleans Darqua in the run game because, you know, San Francisco dead last in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. And they're not going to be able to get off the field. So um, you take those two factors, and I think that this is an all-around smash spot for the Giants, and you throw in the fact that they're going against C.J. Beathard without any of his top receiving options, and I think you have a good spot for their defense. So all around, just smash spot for the New York Giants this week. So the question for me from a DFS perspective is, are we looking at just Giants players here, or are we, looking to, are we, are we so scared of the Giants getting these players back on defense that we don't think that – like a Carlos Hyde or any of these receivers on San Francisco, or even, you know, I've heard people talk about the tight end, Selleck, at, at times this week. Is there anyone on San Francisco that can capitalize on the situation, or is this strictly a spot where maybe we're looking at the Giants taking a dominant lead and trying to script the game that way? I don't, I don't um, like um, the receivers on San Francisco. I think that on DraftKings, I like San Francisco for the tight end, Garrett Selleck, and for Carlos Hyde because – What's going to happen, I believe, is that um, San Francisco is just so lacking for options in the passing game that we already seen Carlos Hyde. I believe he's averaging nine point three or nine point over nine targets over his last three games, um, and that was kind of before everyone went down. So I think you're going to see Carlos Hyde push double digit targets, and I think the Giants are the Giants will give up production to the tight end. Um, so I think you have to consider Garrett Selleck at minimum price. The reason I like him on DraftKings is, and this again, these tips I try to give you guys these tips. You know, not just for the plays, but, you know, going forward, how to think about these things. Tight ends, you're really looking for a touchdown. Um, and, and, and the touchdown for tight ends has to come usually from in the red zone because tight ends aren't breaking off, you know, 60-yard touchdowns um, very frequently or in, in any way which we can even start to predict. So um, in a game where I think that the a team's offense is not going to have much success, I don't usually like to target their – their tight end on FanDuel because I'm not as confident that I'm going to get that a bunch of red zone trips. And I'm not confident that I'm going to get a touchdown out of that tight end. But on, but on DraftKings where Garrett Selleck is, is, is 2,500, um, I do think that he can catch, 
you know, anywhere from, from five to, 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 to eight passes in this game, whether it's just because the Giants are giving up production to the tight end, you know, they're at the 31st in schedule, just fantasy points out to the position. They've given up a touchdown in every single game to the tight end this year. Um, so, you know, I mean, that, that's one thing that you can look at and say, okay, maybe Selleck does have some touchdown upside, but I, I'd rather play him on draftings just where um, if the game script kind of goes off for San Francisco and, and they're trailing, I think they're going to just kind of dump it off to, to Hyde and Selleck over the middle. Um, and, and Selleck probably is a big part of their offensive game plan just because there's, they have really no other um, receivers. I think uh, whoever's on Jenkins will have some trouble. I mean, Marquis Goodwin and Algic Robinson aren't the type of receivers that are just going to beat one of the better cornerbacks in the league. I mean, even Eli Apple, I think he's got a, he's better than, you know, both of those guys as well. So um, I do like Selleck. I, I think he's a better play on DraftKings. And Carl's hot. I mean, he's going to get the ball 20 times, and he's going to catch – I think he's going to catch at least five balls, maybe even, you know, eight to 10. So I, I do like Hyde, but um, just, just kind of warning about maybe the touchdown upside might not be there um, for San Francisco. So that's something to keep in mind. Yeah, certainly don't have any concerns for the Giants offense. I think Tart is now going to be out for the season. Or at least, you know, Eric Reed might play here, but the back end of that defense uh, for San Francisco is certainly pretty troubled these days. So uh, there's going to be a number of ways that the Giants could get it done on offense. All right, Warren, so let's talk about some players from an offensive analytics standpoint that we think could get it done this week. Uh, when I take a look at who the Browns have played from a defensive perspective, I don't really know what to make of them. Their numbers say one thing, but I'm looking at who they played and I'm like wondering to myself, I mean, could this have been even worse than what we see right now? And then now they're going to have to face the Lions coming in pretty hot here and Stafford's look pretty good. What do you got to say about the Lions offense here from an analytics standpoint? Yeah, from a, from a uh, strength of schedule perspective, you know, I think the Lions are in a great, great spot here for their passing offense. Um, they have faced the most difficult schedule of pass defenses so far this year. Um, if you look at based upon passing success rate, um, last week they just played the 30th ranked defense of the Green Bay Packers. And prior to that, like I said, over the course of the entire year to date, they have played the most difficult schedule of pass defense that even factors in the 30th ranked Packers defense. And what they do when they finally got to play a team that ranks below, you know, 17 or 18 in the league, which was the Packers, Matthew Stafford on the road, 67% pass success rate, 78% completion rate, 135 pass rating, 10.8 yards per pass attempt, 357 yards and two touchdowns. Um, so he absolutely dominated that spot. Now, Look, this is a team – I created a new visualization up at sharpfootballstats.com. It's It basically looks at uh, trending performance because I think at this stage in the season, trending performance is extremely important. And you can find that if you could just go under the offense and efficiency, there's a drop-down for trending performance. And it, it's vitally important because these teams aren't what they were back in week one or week two. Uh, things change. Players go in and out. You have different strength of schedules that you face. I want to look at what a team has done year to date, but also in the last several weeks. And if you look at this team, they're the third best passing success rate in the last three weeks, third best in the NFL and second most explosive passing offense over the last three weeks as well. And um, this is a very strong team from that perspective. Um, Cleveland, as we know, they're a funnel defense in terms of they're great against the run, bad against the pass. They're going to be, uh, they're going to have deficiencies if you try to throw the ball a lot against them. Well, what can the Detroit Lions do? They can throw the ball, but they're not very good at running the ball. And in addition, their starting running back just fumbled the ball twice the last game out. So unless we have Jim Bob Cooter do some off the wall things here and decide, hey, this is the game I want to get my run game going. This is a game that I want to prove a point at home with my rushing offense. I think we're going to see a lot of passing in this game from the Detroit Lions, basically taking the path of least resistance, which is what I always advocate for, path of least resistance when you're on offense. Um, I think, I think they, they, they rank dead last in rushing efficiency, so they're going to have to pass the ball. They're playing a defense that's great against the run, but not very good against the pass. And they're playing at home, and they're playing with some players who have had a lot of recent success in this offense, cashing the ball deep and making explosive plays for them. So I think Stafford, um, you know, with the, with the volume that he's likely to incur, with the fact that they're playing the Browns, so they might get the ball back a fair amount, some good field position potentially, I think there's a great opportunity for Stafford to produce a pretty solid result here. Yeah, and I'll just harken back to what I started that conversation with, is that, you know, the Browns have been easier to throw on this season, and I don't think that the quality of quarterbacks that they've seen – you know, Flacco and Brissett 
and, you know, Gimpy Mariota and Case Keenum. Like, I don't know that these quarterbacks are even testing this, you know, the tensity, tensile strength that defense as much as it could have been. I think that they could actually be severely overmatched by a quarterback, the quality of Stafford. And I really do like this take. I think that uh, in DFS this week, Stafford is going to be amongst the top plays for a very good reason. Now, Chris, when you take a look at, you know, Jared Goff, a guy you were on last week, uh, you know, some people might look at going back to this matchup as kind of chasing points, and he's expensive now on DFS sites. People might think that there's reason to get off this particular situation against Houston. Do you have a different take? Yeah, I like the situation a lot for the Rams once again, and I really like the situation for um, – the reason I like Goff this week is related to a receiver – that I think is in a really good spot for them. And that's Sammy Watkins. Now, first of all, obviously the numbers, you know, on paper for the Houston defense are bad. So you already have that working in a the favor. They're 29th in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to the wide receiver position. But I think the important thing here is going to be, okay, if you like Jared Goff, you know, who are you trying to stack him with? Now, I think a lot of people will go to Robert Woods. Um, I think that's a little bit point chasing. Not that I, I have a problem with Woods overall, but um, I, I'm not expecting, you know, two touchdown games from him. Uh, every game. I'm not expecting him to score 50 yard touchdowns on third and 33 uh, again. So, but the receiver I really do like is Sammy Watkins. And that's because if you look at how uh, opponents are attacking the Houston Texans, Houston Texans, if you check out airyards.com, um, great site, they have the defensive uh, stats for air yards. And the Houston Texans are allowing an average depth of target of 10 yards. And that is the second furthest downfield average depth of target that a defense is allowing in the league. So this sets up well for Sammy Watkins to get deep on this team. And Sammy Watkins average depth of target this season is 16.7. That's highest on the Rams. And that is um, seven yards higher than Robert Woods. He's at 9.7 and 7.7 yards higher than Cooper cup. So Sammy Watkins average target almost double the amount of yardage downfield um, as the other two receivers, wide receivers on the team. And that's kind of why you're seeing, uh, that's kind of why you're seeing, you know, Sammy Watkins be a little inconsistent because if you're getting targeted deep downfield, you're not going to have a good fantasy games every week. That's why you're seeing Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, a little more consistent this year, but this is a spot to play Sammy Watkins. Um, I, I believe, you know, Sean McVay, we've talked about this off air. We've talked about it on air. But Sean McVay knows how to scheme. He knows how to attack defenses at their weakest points. And I think you're really going to see them go deep with Sammy Watkins this week and, and have a lot of success. Yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunities and matchups for them to take advantage of in this spot. And certainly, you know, Watkins, and under, if you look at number of targets and, you know, they haven't had to rely on him so much this season to get it done. But we saw what they're capable of last week with the deep ball. And uh, I, don't, I don't think that there's any point chasing involved with going back to Goff this week when you look at the metrics uh, that the Texans' defense is supporting. Start looking at some defensive points of view here, some matchups either to avoid or take advantage of based on defensive metrics. Warren, where have you kind of landed on this week from that perspective? Uh, one, of the, one of the games that I'm looking at um, where I think an offense could struggle, and this sounds obvious, but they're actually getting a fair amount of support um, and that's the uh, San Diego Chargers. And I think that they're going to run into, obviously they're going to run into a buzzsaw in this game, but there's two key things that I think are really important that um, could pose massive problems for this offense. The first one is that for wh whatever reasons, reasons unknown to us, uh, to most of humanity, the San Diego chart or the LA Chargers continue to call Melvin Gordon's number on first down at a ridiculous rate. And he is the least efficient starting running back in the NFL at, in terms of success rate on first down. His success rate is like 25%. Um, and he ranks 50th out of 51 qualifying rushers. But that's including guys who have like 25 first down carries. Um, so the guy who is 51st is basically should fall off that list. And actually he did. Eddie Lacy uh, is no longer starting up in, in uh, Seattle. But who knows what they're going to do. They could go back to him at some point. But uh, they didn't even play him in the game last night. Um, so as, in terms of starters, this is the worst. You're looking at the worst in the NFL, and yet they call a high percentage of first down run plays to him. What does that mean? When your success rate is bad on first down, 
that means you're going to be in second and long and then inevitably third and long. And this is the best defense in the NFL in third and long, the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're the best at preventing passing uh, first downs on third and long. So that's big problem number one. Big problem number two, this might fly into the face of a lot of people who play DFS, so um, it's kind of an island take, but I'm all right with it. Um, and that is the inefficiency of uh, Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen is great, just like Melvin Gordon is great for your fantasy teams because he has a high level of targets. His usage is great. That's why people are like, oh, why are you talking? It's like the advent of fantasy. This is where it sometimes backfires on people's intelligence level. Uh, you know, having conversations on Twitter about, oh, Melvin Gordon is great. He's doing great for my fantasy team. Like, well, he's yes, he is because of his volume, not because he's an actual great running back who's a dominant running back. You know, he'll break out big runs, just like Jay Ajay is capable of breaking out big runs, but it doesn't mean they have any level of consistency and certainly not on first down for Melvin Gordon. Well, with Keenan Allen, the LA Chargers are focusing a tremendous level of pass attempts in his direction. And that's going to pose a problem in this game because the Jacksonville Jaguars are the best defense in the NFL at stopping the slot receivers, at limiting their production. And so you take Keenan Allen, who's playing in the slot, and you're going to be able to limit what he does. Phillip Rivers targets him way too much. I've been a complete advocate of, and I said this for weeks now, not only just Hunter Henry, who I love and adore, but all the other receivers on that team have better efficiency rates than does Keenan Allen. Uh, Keenan Allen is just getting targeted at a tremendous rate. And so what I think you're going to have here is a double-headed monster of too many run plays on first down to Melvin Gordon, creating inefficiency and passing attempts on third down into the teeth of a great defense, and too much volume targeted towards uh, Keenan Allen, who is going up against the number one defense against players of his position. And in both those cases, I think it spells doom for the Chargers offense here. Um, I, like, I like this offense. They've got great weapons, but I think it's just a really bad matchup. And unless they come out the bye week with a totally different game plan, if they do what they've been doing, um, I think it's going to be really problematic to, for them to see success. They're going to be in a lot of third and longs and just have to hope to come out. Now, they will have some chances and they will produce because they're a great offense, but they may not exceed or they may not meet or exceed your expectations in this game. Yeah, not difficult to agree with that. You know, the Jaguars D has generally been a defense to avoid for most of the season. And, you know, despite the fact that you mentioned some generally strong fantasy players and Melvin Gordon and Keenan Allen being on the Chargers. Uh, take no issue there trying to stay away from them, uh, given the analytics from the Jacksonville side of the ball. Now, Chris, when you take a look at, you know, the Lions game, we just talked about how, you know, Warren and I both kind of like Matthew Stafford this week, and we see a guy who's got 14, 11, and 11 targets in recent weeks. We see a guy who's got 62 targets on the season and a guy who absolutely destroyed in DFS last week in Marvin Jones. Uh, we like Stafford pretty much. We like him too, right? See, this is the week where, you know, again, just like I talked about with Jared Goff, you know, trying to decipher a little bit of, okay, well, if I like this guy, I want to play him in tournaments, who am I going to stack him with? And yeah, I think a lot of people are going to look at Marvin Jones, see the numbers and, you know, kind of want to play him uh, stacked up with Stafford. I'm not sure that that's the best idea this week, um, at least how it sets up. Um, on paper and from a uh, kind of a, a matchup perspective, if you look at the Browns and the type of pass defense that they play, um, now, they're, now first things first, they're not a very good pass defense. We all know that. Um, but if you look at how they're being attacked, the Cleveland Browns have the lowest average depth of target allow, uh, allowed in the league, only 6.3 yards on average. Um, I think we've talked about it before, but – they play their at least one safety usually very, very deep, um, on, 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 even on first downs a lot of the time. So they'll have a safety kind of protecting against the deep ball, you know, 25 yards away from the line of scrimmage, even on the early downs. And it's actually worked, you know, as I mentioned, lowest average depth of target in the league. They're funneling passes underneath. And they are also, um, they've allowed 32 uh, targets of 15 of more than 15 yards down the field. That is the least in the league, six fewer than any other team in the league has allowed. So you look at that and then you look at the Detroit Lions and their passing game and how they kind of execute 
their offense. And Marvin Jones, like Sammy Watkins for the Rams, um, Marvin Jones is the, the, the Lions kind of deep threat. He's being targeted an average of 14.2 yards down the field, um, whereas Golden Tate, he's only being targeted an average of 6.7 yards down the field, less than half. So in this game, we already know that, number one, the Browns are terrible against the tight end position, pretty much dead last in any metric that you're going to see. And that's no coincidence. That's also because they kind of funnel targets underneath. So I think um, Stafford's going to have a lot more success um, throwing to these underneath targets. I think Golden Tate is actually the receiver that you want. Now, he's been putting up pretty good numbers, too, as well. Um, the yardage isn't always there. But in this game, I just think that the volume will be there for Tate. And, you know, he's a guy where when the volume's there, I mean, he, he's liable to catch – you know, eight to 10 balls when the volume is there for him. And I think it's going to be there in this game. I think Marvin Jones helps Detroit as will Kenny Galladay, even though they're deep targets, I think they help Detroit and they help Stafford in the sense that, you know, they are, you do have to account for them, you know, and, and that's going to kind of pull the defense, you know, to the, the Browns defense to continue playing the way they play. But in terms of actual production um, in the box score, I think you're going to see the underneath players, receivers, excuse me, for the Lions have the most success. Um, I think you're going to see Golden Tate, Eric Ebron, or, or Fells, or whoever they put out there at tight end. I don't think it matters against Cleveland. Um, and, 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 even, and, even, and even the running backs, like a Theo Riddick or somebody, get involved in the pass game now. I don't know if you can necessarily play Riddick at this point just because he's never been a, an efficient rusher and um, he's not really just getting enough usage to, to play him. But I do think that's kind of how Stafford um, – that's kind of how the, the, the receptions are going to kind of break down for Stafford. He's going to be looking to um, his underneath guys, uh, especially Golden Tate. So I'd be careful with, with getting too much exposure uh, to Marvin Jones, even though the numbers really look good as of late. Yeah, I was bluffing when I started that. I actually wrote about that topic myself on my wide receiver cornerback uh, matchups this week. If you guys want to check that out. But uh, basically echoes pretty much exactly what Chris just said. Uh, worded a little bit differently, of course. But, you know, people look at Brian uh, Body Calhoun's performance this year, and you might think if you just looked at the metrics that he's been pretty good. The reality is he actually hasn't seen that many targets this year. The Browns in general haven't seen that many targets against them as a team. So I, I don't doubt for one second that Golden Tate could absolutely get it done on the interior of that defense this week, and I'm looking at that as a matchup to target in DFS myself. All right, let's take a look at the chalk, guys. Uh, Warren, I I'm looking at a bunch of different situations, uh, you know, from a chalk perspective this week. You know, quarterback, we mentioned Stafford, and I think Big Ben probably gets a little bit of run here against uh, the Colts this week. Uh, depending on recency bias, you could see Jared Goff creep up into a chalkier status. I think that really depends on how heavily the public uh, weights that price point. But uh, from the running back perspective, you know, give me a running back that you're looking at from the perspective that we can cause yeah, one of the guys that I like is uh, is Jordan Howard this week. Um, he's just in a really good situation. I mean, how many times are you going to get the Chicago Bears actually favored at home? Um, and I think that they're justifiably favored in this situation. I mean, look, I have no idea what I was watching uh, when I saw the Green Bay Packers game, but – when they played the Detroit Lions, they had two weeks to prepare for this game. They knew what um, their quarterback, Brett Hundley, was against the Saints in his first start. They had two weeks to get this game plan ready. And they tried him out on the field in the first quarter. And, I mean, it was just a joke in terms of his production. I think he was averaging like two-point-something yards per pass attempt. He, they did not convert a single third down the entire game via the pass. Not one third down against the Detroit Lions defense via the pass in the entire game. What that means is plenty of opportunities for the Chicago Bears defense to get stops and get the ball back for Jordan Howard and the Chicago Bears offense. Um, you look at the weaknesses of the Green Bay Packers defense, I think there's a number of different uh, places that they struggle. Um, you really had a difficult situation when they played the Saints. The Chicago Bears, not only was it Mitch Trubisky's first game on the road, but they go up against a very, very different environment to play in. And you've got the Saints offense that's capable of moving the football on you. So they were just a little bit balanced. They had a little bit of success early, but then they were trying to get Trubisky to throw the ball a little bit more. They were down. And it just wasn't working out as well as they were doing the prior few weeks against the Carolina Panthers, against the Baltimore Ravens, against even the Minnesota Vikings. And I think that they're going to be able to go back to that recipe for success. So um, this is a uh, – Perfect game, in my opinion, because these players aren't fresh on the lips of anybody right now. Um, 
Jordan Howard had a bye week last week, and the week before that, they played on the road in the Saints. Um, you know, this Carolina Panther, uh, sorry, this uh, Green Bay Packers defense, they last played the Detroit Lions, not a very good run team whatsoever. And the week before that, they had a bye. So, like, in the last, it's been like three weeks since he's really seen the opportunity for, you know, Jordan Howard to actually look good or for the Packers' run defense to get exposed. And so I think it's kind of, you know, uh, out of sight, out of mind. I think we're going to see that, though, this game on Sunday. I think Jordan Howard's going to be able to produce against his Packers' run defense. And I think they're going to be in a great situation where they're going to be able to get as much production as this offense can handle. And especially because the Packers' offense probably is going to struggle a little bit here, as to be expected on the road. Um, and we're going to see even more opportunities for uh, for Chicago and Howard. Yeah, it, it, it's sometimes baffling when we see situations where we think coaches should do one thing and they do another thing. Uh, but with Howard, I, I'm, I'm on board here. I, I hope to God that they figure it out and, and they just uh, they just run him uh, with high volume in the way that I would have expected they would have wanted to do to begin with. Chris, when you take a look at some of the other running backs here, Bell and Gurley, I expect a popular DFS construction strategy to be pay up at least one of the running back spots, maybe pay in the mid-range for one of the cheaper slash more volume-heavy tight ends. So we'll start with the running back position. You know, Gurley and Bell I expect to be up there. Any specific takes on those guys? Yeah, I think this week when you're looking at all these expensive running backs, you have about a handful of choices to make. And I think, you know, especially if you're a high-volume DFS player, um, you probably want – you always want exposure to, to, those, to those stud running backs. But this week you're going to kind of have to figure out, okay, which ones do I really want to go overweight on and have more exposure than the field to, and which ones do I not? Because there's, there's a ton of them that you could play. So um, I think one of the things you really have to look at um, is their production in the passing game because that always kind of puts these guys over the edge. When, when, when these backs can catch five balls in a game or they catch a touchdown, that really kind of aids their ceiling. And this week, Todd Gurley, yes, he's in a great spot home favorite against the Houston Texans, whose front seven has been um, decimated with the losses of J.J. Watt, Whitney Merciless, and uh, Brian Cushing. But the thing about the Texans' defense is they're not giving up production to running backs in the passing game. They have allowed only 31 receptions. That is the uh, fewest in the NFL. So in this situation, you know, Todd Gurley has been making hay a lot of hay um, catching the ball out of the backfield. Um, he's been one of the most uh, high-volume pass catchers uh, amongst, you know, these uh, starting running backs in the league. And, you know, in this spot, you know, just from a, the perspective of, okay, if he's limited a little bit in that passing game, you're just relying on his rushing production a little bit more. So it's just kind of messing with his you know, floor-ceiling combo a, a tiny bit. Um, and, and, you know, on the other hand, you have Le'Veon Bell, and you know, another – excellent pass catcher. Um, he's going against the Indianapolis Colts. They are allowing a, a bit more production in that passing game to running back. They're, they're allowing over uh, 10 yards per reception to running backs, you know, 497 yards on, on only 42 catches. So um, if you're looking at trying to decide between those two, I, I do think that despite Bell's cost, you know, on DraftKings that, that he is, it, it is warranted to kind of pay for that um, because, because of you're just looking at more upside in the receiving game. And of course, you know, Gurley is actually the most expensive running back on Fanduel, so I think it's a good spot to you know maybe go a little bit underweight on him in this game. You know, I still think he has that multi-touchdown upside, you know, because of being a home favorite against a team that's going to struggle to possess the ball on the other side. But um, so are the Colts um, against that a very strong Pittsburgh defense. So I, I think if you're looking, you know, Gurley versus Bell, um, I would still go Bell even on DraftKings with the with the higher price tag. Yeah, good, good stuff there. It's going to be a tough decision for people, especially in cash games, trying to figure out where to go with the running back spot. Um, ultimately, I think I'm leaning your way here with Bell just being in a, in a spot that's difficult to poke a hole in against the Indianapolis Colts. All right, it's time to take a look at some guys who are under the radar, Warren. Uh, where have you landed? I mean, there's certainly going to be some opportunity to find low-owned guys, as there is every week. What do you, when you look at, from a value perspective, someone that may be off the radar, where have you kind of landed on this week number 10 one of the guys that i think is of interest is in a game again like we discussed i mean you want to go after these games that you think are going to exceed the total so why the hell not um i'm looking at robbie anderson now i, I would say powell at running back because i don't think forte is playing but i think with regard to i mean you guys know the 
percentage is a lot better than I do. But with his salary, if Forte's not going, I think he's, his ownership's going to be quite high. Now he's still going to pay dividends probably from what he produces compared to what his price is. But um, a lot of other people are probably going to be on him. Um, and, and that could actually, I mean, you guys know more about the game theory of this than I do. Uh, but theoretically, if you're on a running back from a game, that might actually drive down your decision-making to take a wide receiver from that game. So if everybody's throwing Powell into their lineup, maybe less people are thinking about Robbie Anderson. Um, that, that's a question you guys can maybe answer in a second. But I like Robbie Anderson here. Um, you look at the pass rush of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, it's the worst in the league. Um, and you look at the revenge narrative, you look at the elements from McCown going back down to, uh, to Tampa. I think you're going up against, if he's going to have time to throw the ball, guess who he's going to want to target? Robbie Anderson's had touchdowns the last three games. That's what you pretty much need for a player like him because he's not going to catch a ton of balls. I mean, he's not going to have 10, 11 targets like some of the receivers this week, even some of the guys that are priced similarly. I mean, Chris mentioned Marvin Jones. Uh, Marvin Jones probably still going to get a lot of targets, may not do as much with them, but you know, Robbie Anderson's not going to have that target share. Um, and at a similar price point, he's going to have to get you a touchdown to really pay dividends. Um, but I think he's got the upside to do that. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense is the NFL's worst in terms of success rate against wide receivers. Um, so I just think that there's a, a lot of benefits here with regard to the pass rush, with regard to their success at defending wide receivers and, um, and the potential aggressive nature that the Jets might game plan here. Um, that could give some opportunities for Anderson to get that touchdown that you would need. Yeah, I'm looking at NFL next-gen stats right now. I'm noticing Robbie Anderson with top 10 share of team-targeted air yards. Uh, once again, kind of speaking to the point that Warren said, is he's not maybe not going to get all the volume that some of these other guys are going to get, but certainly uh, with all those targeted air yards, you know, the efficiency could definitely be there, especially in a favorable matchup such as this. So I think that's a great call. Uh, Anderson uh, certainly going to be lower owned than Blau Powell if you're looking at it from that perspective. Now, Chris, where have you landed as far as an under-the-radar play this week? Yeah, this is probably going to come way out of left field, but in a week where I don't think there's a ton of uh, slam-dunk plays at the quarterback position, I think you want to kind of go off the radar a little and take, take some chances in tournaments because, I mean, besides Matthew Stafford being chalk. And, you know, I think it's going to be kind of tough for people. I mean, you know, a lot of concentrated ownership would probably go to Stafford, Goff, you know, maybe the quarterbacks in the, in the Falcons game and, and Fitzpatrick because it's cheap. Um, but, but even those guys I don't think uh, are slam dunk plays. I mean, you could kind of poke a hole in any of them. You know, even Stafford. I mean, you know, who knows what happens if the, the Lions get, get up early, you know, kind of take the air out of the ball. But um, Marcus Mariota, I think, is interesting this week for that exact reason. You know, he's going to go way under the radar. Um, he, he, he's, he's in a situation where the Bengals defense, you know, the, the Titans are at home. They are a favorite, you know, implied totals, nothing crazy. So, um, but, but the, 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 the Bengals defense is 17th in pass defense DVOA um, and, and seventh in run defense DVOA. So you're going to um, make perhaps, you know, see um, the Titans have to throw the ball. You know, we know they're a run heavy team, but we might see them have to throw a little bit more out of necessity. And, and the reason I, I really like Mariota is, you know, in addition to him being under the radar play, he's getting healthier. Um, he, he hasn't been healthy for a lot of the years. He's had a hamstring issue that's kind of muted his rushing ability. But I think especially in situations where you're looking for a low-owned quarterback and you're looking to kind of get some value in a week where there, there might be – it might be a lower scoring week for quarterbacks, um, you kind of want that mobility. I mean, I think Mariota brings you that. He's also got, um, you know, pretty good matchup for Delaney Walker, who – He's been held out of practice, but that's just for maintenance. Um, he's going to play, um, barring any type of setbacks between um, when we record this and Sunday. Um, they got, they have, he has a good matchup, Walker, at the, uh, at the tight end position, Cincinnati 27th in uh, DVOA against the tight ends. Um, DeMarco Murray practiced in full on Wednesday. Um, that's also a key for their Titans passing game. Murray is a big part of their passing game. And when he's healthy, um, that really helps Mariota as well. So I think you're going to have, you're going to see a situation where Mariota is going to go way under the radar, but um, if he gets you maybe a rushing touchdown or something like that, um, I think you could really see him kind of be one of the, uh, the, the top quarterbacks on the week. And I don't think many people are really going to be on him just because nothing stands out too much about his matchup. But at the same time, uh, the Bengals defense, um, not really one to necessarily uh, fear 
Um, as much as people may think they're kind of middling in a lot of their, their metrics this, this season, um, they are 14th in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to the tight end position. They've also been struggling um, to get off the field, which is another positive you know, for, for Mariota. Um, the, the Bengals are, in, over the last three games, ranked 30th in the league in third down conversion percentage allowed up there at 48.9%. I mean, on the season, they're actually only 21st. So they've struggled field um that that should allow you know the titans to possess the ball a lot and, and get Mariota some volume because he's going to need some volume um titans are as i mentioned kind of a run heavy team but um if you combine the fact that Mariota could could get a good amount of a, a little maybe a little added volume in this game um with the fact that he can he can he can move around um and he has good matchups for a couple of his pass catchers um i think he's kind of an under the radar play that um in this kind of week where, where it's kind of tough at quarterback a little bit um and you're looking for some value and some, and some low ownership, I think you have to take a look at him. Excellent job, guys. Another fantastic show full of information. I hope people can use to get better as players and also find some plays for week number 10 in DFS. Just want to remind you guys, check out Chris Raybon on Roto-Grinders, of course, but you can also find uh, his work over on 444.com. Uh, you can also take a look at what Warren's got going on, sharpfootballanalysis.com if you're into – the information he's giving from a Vegas perspective, he can certainly help you there. He can also help you on sharpfootballstats.com with information that is visualized for your viewing pleasure to make it very easy to learn and find advanced analytics. Of course, my stuff on Roto-Grinders Premium, as well as all the other guys here at Roto-Grinders doing a great job. That's all we got this week. For Chris, for Warren, I'm Chris Gimino. Best of luck in all your contests in week number 10.